You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Are you ready for the Bible tonight? All right. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to, can I move this monitor just a little bit like this? Ephesians chapter 6. And Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have allowed Denise and I to be here in Madison with the Garvers and with this congregation. And Holy Spirit, tonight we look to you as the great teacher. We ask you to take us into the scriptures. Let us feel the word of God. Let us experience the word of God and be changed by it. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I just need a little bit more sound up here on the monitors for me. Ephesians chapter 6, and tonight we're going to begin in verse 12. Paul is writing, and he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And when we come into Ephesians 6, verse 12, we really have a miraculous verse. It's almost as though the Apostle Paul has looked into the realm of the Spirit. And when he has looked into the realm of the Spirit, he has seen how Satan's kingdom has been aligned militarily. And he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the Greek says it different in a very important way. The Greek actually says, for the wrestle is to us. In Greek, it is called the dative. It pulls us into the conflict, which means at some point in our experience, every one of us are going to deal with spiritual forces that have been marshaled against us. And the Greek emphatically says the wrestle is to us, but it is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. The word principalities is the Greek word archos. The word archos describes that which is from ancient, ancient times, But in a military sense, it was used to describe the chief generals of an army. Secondly, he says against powers. The word powers that is used here is the Greek word exousias. It describes those that have received license to do whatever they want to do, wherever they want to do it. And in the Greek world, this was the word which was used to describe the colonels in an army. Finally, then he says against the rulers of the darkness of this world, a very strange word, the Greek word kosmokrateros, from the word cosmos, it describes something that's ordered or something that is arranged. It's compounded with the word kratos, which is the word for power. When you compound the two words together, in the King James Version, it's translated rulers of the darkness of this world, but in fact, it is raw power, the word kratos, that has been harnessed and it has been organized And in fact, this was the word which was used to describe a military training center or a boot camp where soldiers were taught how to use weapons of war. Soldiers were kratos. They were raw power. But they had to be harnessed. They had to be organized. And once all of them were harnessed and they were organized and they were disciplined, then they would be dispatched. And this leads us to the last category in this verse where he says spiritual wickedness in high places. And when you read the word high places... It's a little bit misleading 
because in Greek there are several words for high places. There is the air above the mountaintops, and then there is the air below the mountaintops. And in this particular verse, it's describing the atmosphere we live in, the air below the mountaintops, the air that we breathe, or we find that once demon spirits have been harnessed and they have been trained to use certain weapons, then they are dispatched into the lower regions of the air where they begin to victimize the human race. But when you come to this verse, you find that what Satan does, he does not do by happenstance or by accident, but in fact there is great organization in Satan's domain. And the Apostle Paul says in this verse, for we wrestle not, again, the Greek says the wrestle is to us, implying at some point in our spiritual experience we are going to be drawn into a confrontation with unseen powers. But he says the wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but what? Against, everybody say against. Against principalities. And then he says what? Against powers. Then he says, against rulers of the darkness of this world. And finally, against spiritual wickedness in high places. One word he keeps repeating over and over and over. It is the word against. Well, normally in Greek, you would think that the word against would be the word anti. But in this particular case, it is not the word anti. Every time he uses the word against in Greek, it is the word pros. And the word pros describes something that is very upfront, something that is very personal. And in fact, it is the very same word that is used in John chapter 1, verse 1, to describe the relationship between God the Father and the Son. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was what? With God. That word with is the same word here translated against. It is the word pros. But in John 1, 1, it describes the relationship between the Father and the and the Son. You could literally translate it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. It pictures intimacy between members of the Godhead. But now when you come to this verse, the word pros is used five times by the Apostle Paul to let us know we are going to be drawn into a conflict with unseen powers. We will feel that we are face-to-face with them. And one expositor has actually translated this face-to-face with principalities, ribcage-to-ribcage with powers, shoulder-to-shoulder with rulers of the darkness of this world, drawn into a conflict with them. And Paul says something very important at the first of this verse. He says it's not against what? Flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but working behind the flesh and blood, working behind in the invisible realm, are forces that have been dispatched to wage warfare against us. Well, I want to tell you how this verse became a reality to me. Denise and I, in the early days of our ministry, were traveling, were preaching all over the United States, and I was beginning to write books. God laid his hands on my books. You know, it's interesting, when I was 17 years old, God had already put it into my heart to write books. He said, write, 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 I will prosper what you write. I was 17 years old when the Spirit of God said that to me, and I began to write. And I wrote my first book, And my first book was a bestseller in 30 days. That is amazing. 
Well, when you've had one bestseller, it gets what you want. You want another bestseller. So I wrote my second book, and I was cranking out those books. I had the word from the Lord, write, write, write. I will prosper what you write. And finally, we came to a moment when I was about to publish a book called Life in the Combat Zone. And I knew that God was really going to use that book. I was so excited about that book. There had been many attacks against that book. But finally, I had published the manuscript. It was ready to print the book. And within about 60 days, the book would be in print. And at that moment in our life, Denise and I were really having a miraculous experience because we were speaking back in those days about 450 times a year. Now, just put a pencil to that. You don't have that many days in a year. We were just living and meeting to meeting to meeting, and people were inviting us. Things were just going magnificent. And it was about time to publish this book. And just when it was time to pay for the printing of that book, something strange began to happen in our ministry. Meetings began to be canceled. There was no apparent reason for the meetings to be canceled. But you would have thought that all the pastors that had invited us privately met together and decided they would all cancel our meetings at the same time. Meeting after meeting began to be canceled. At the same time, the people who supported our ministry stopped sending their offerings into the ministry. It was like all of our resources dried up. Our meetings were canceled. We had no explanation for what was taking place. And I said to Denise, what is happening? She said, I don't know. We've never experienced anything like this. It happened simultaneously all at one time. And I said, it's all right. We're going to get through this. And day by day, I begin to say, somehow, we're going to survive this. We're going to get through this. The finances are going to be turned on again. But day by day, no money was coming. No meetings were coming. And finally, some strange things did happen. For example, I was invited to do a week of meetings in the state of Kansas. I was so thankful to have meetings. And I was also thankful that at the end of the meetings, we were going to be giving an offering because we really needed finances. So about halfway through those meetings, the pastor came to me. He said, you know, Rick, he said, your offerings are just magnificent this week. I said, praise God, because I really have a financial need. He said, you know, I also have a financial need. He said, I want you to agree with me that God will meet my need. I said, brother, I would be happy to. So I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, Father, I agree in Jesus' name that you're going to meet this pastor's need. So we came to the end of the week. He gave me the offering. I opened the envelope. We had been there for five days. I had preached 10 times in five days, and the offering was just a little over $100. And I said to the pastor, I thought you told me the offering was magnificent. He said it was. But don't you remember? You agreed to meet my need. You gave me your offering. And I remember saying to Denise, honey, a pastor just robbed us. That had never happened to me in my life. And things like that begin to happen and happen and happen. 
And Denise and I felt like we were beginning to drown financially at the same time when we needed to pay for the printing of the new book, which we knew was going to impact a lot of lives. So every day I found myself sitting in front of my calculator. Have any of you ever sat in front of a calculator? Punching in the numbers, trying to figure out somehow we're going to pay these bills, we're going to get through this. And every day just red tape kept coming out of the calculator. It was getting worse and worse and worse with every day. And I found that when I prayed, I was praying just about one thing, money. In fact, you would have thought that that was God's name because every time I raised my hands, I said, money. <laughs> and one day the Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, you do not have a money problem. <laughs> I said, well, excuse me, what kind of problem do I have? He said, you do not have a money problem. And I said again, then what kind of problem do I have? And the Lord said, you do not have a money problem. I said, then tell me what kind of problem do I have? And the Lord said, if you will turn to Mark chapter 4, I will open it up to you and I will show you what is your problem. So turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I had been wrestling with flesh and blood. I'd been wrestling with the calculator. I'd been wrestling with the stack of bills, trying to solve these problems by myself, trying to figure it all out. But when I came to Mark chapter 4, I saw something in Scripture that I had never seen before. And when you come to Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are about to get into a boat, and they're about to sail to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes. And when you come to Mark chapter 5, you discover that in the country of the Gadarenes, there was a demonized man who was so demonized, he had a legion of demons. A legion was basically 6,000 demons. And this man was literally infested with 6,000 demons. And actually, when you read Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, it tells us there were two men. And Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 says, There were two men who were exceedingly fierce. Exceedingly fierce, the Greek word kalopos, means they were so dangerous that they were a menace. And that is why Matthew 8, 28 says, No one dared to pass by that way. The word way in Greek is the word hodas. It's the word for a road. And on that side of the Sea of Galilee, there was a road that went all along that side of the sea. And right on the other side of the road were cliffs, and in those cliffs were these two demonized men, one of them having a legion of demons. And as people would try to pass by that side of the road, these men would charge out of the cliffs and would terrorize them. And in fact, these men were such a menace, the entire region on that side of the Sea of Galilee had been paralyzed by fear because of these two men. But now Jesus is about to get in a boat and head to the other side. And Jesus is going to cast the demons out of those men and not just cast the demons out of those men, but when the demons leave, that entire region is going to be set free from a spirit of fear. So what happened to Jesus 
when he was on the way to the other side. And that's what we find in Mark chapter 4. And friend, I want to tell you, God is calling you to the other side. He's calling you to a place in your life where you're going to have a breakthrough. When the power of God is going to visit you, something fantastic is going to happen. But very often when you are en route to something magnificent, that is when an attack strikes. And look what we find in Matthew, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 says, and the same day, verse 35, when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him as he was, even in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. But then look, if you would, in verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? But when you come to the very first of verse 37, we find something very important in the Greek language. It says there arose. In Greek, this is the word genomai. The word genomai describes something that takes you off guard or something that takes you by surprise, something that is not anticipated. So you could actually translate it like this, and suddenly, out of nowhere. It was the last thing we would have anticipated that night. We have no idea where it came from. It completely took us off guard, and by surprise, suddenly, there arose a great storm of wind. Well, you have to remember that Jesus' disciples, the majority of them, lived on that lake. They were from Capernaum. They were from Bethsaida. They knew the weather of that lake. And if a natural storm had been brewing that night, they would have never gone out onto that sea. When they started the journey that night, it was clear skies. It was the perfect night for going to the other side. And suddenly, when they were in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, the Greek says, Genomai, suddenly out of nowhere, completely taking them off guard and by surprise, disarming them completely, there arose a great storm of wind. The Bible says a great storm. The word great is a Greek word, megale. It describes something that is enormous. It's where we get the word mega. This was a mega storm. And notice it does not say that it was a rainstorm. It was a storm of wind. The word wind is the Greek word lelaps. It describes turbulence that you can feel, but you cannot see. You cannot point your finger at the source, but you can feel the effects of it. And now here they are, on the way to the other side, on the edge of a miracle, a great breakthrough, and suddenly in the middle of the night, in the middle of the lake, en route to a great miracle, Genomai, out of nowhere, suddenly. It took them completely off guard and by surprise, a mega storm, turbulence. They could feel the effects of it, but they could not see the source of it. And in fact, the Bible goes on to say, a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship. The word waves is the Greek word kumata. 
It describes one succession of waves after another, after another, after another, after another, which means this was not just a random wave here and there. This was one wave after another wave after another wave after another wave. And when you read this in the Greek text, it is really very strange. Because normally, if this was a natural storm, the waves would have all been moving in one direction. But on this particular night, it was like Jesus' ship was the target in the middle of the lake, and the waves were coming toward the ship from every direction. Waves coming from this direction, from this direction, from this direction, from this direction. And because it is the word kumata, it means these were monster waves, one after another, after another, after another, after another. And the Bible says they were beating in two. The ship, even the words beat into, are very important in this text because in Greek it is the word epibalo. The word epi means over. The word balo means to throw. When you compound the two words together, it forms the word epibalo here translated beat into, which never, 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 never describes the activity of nature. Never. The words epibalo describe what an entity or a personality does. Like one that would pick up a ball or a rock and epibalo would throw it over against something else. That word is never used in Greek literature to describe nature. But now the Holy Spirit uses this word which describes what a personality does to tell us there was an invisible personality that night at work on the sea. And that invisible personality was picking up the waves of the sea and was hurling them over against the ship one after another, after another, after another, after another. And the disciples, as far as they could see, could only see monster waves. And they were binding waves. They were bailing water, fighting waves, bailing water, fighting waves, bailing water. One wave after another wave after another wave after another wave. It seemed they were being struck from every single side. One wave after another wave. And the Bible says... Finally, the ship was full. Verse 38, and he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. I love that about Jesus because Jesus always knew they were going to make it to the other side. He knew that. Jesus was really resting in the peace of God. He was not worried that they were going to be capsized in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night. He was on assignment. And friends, if you are on assignment, you're going to make it to the other side. Even if you encounter a little turbulence along the way, it is going to pass. It's going to pass. But Jesus was asleep on a pillow. I said to my wife, he was so confident they were going to make it to the other side. The disciples were binding waves, fighting waves, bailing water. And Jesus was saying, devil, just keep rocking the boat just a little bit more like that. And Jesus was literally sleeping in the peace of God in the backside of the boat in a pillow. That's even important. Every word in the Bible is important. The word pillow here is a word which describes a little corner pillow which tells us how Jesus was laying on the boat. He was in a fetal position, all curled up, sleeping so deeply. And the Bible says 
and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and saith unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? When the King James Version says they awake him, I could almost imagine the disciples coming to that end of the boat, trying to form a little circle around Jesus, and each of them debating who's going to wake him out of this sleep. So they're whispering among themselves, and finally somebody says, Psst, psst, Jesus, Lord, excuse us. We hate to bother you. But when you read this in the Greek text, the word awake is the same identical Greek root from which we get the word for resurrection, which means they didn't kindly say, Jesus, please wake up. They jerked him up off of that pillow. They resurrected him while they were screaming simultaneously, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And when you read the Greek tense, the Greek structure is so interesting. It says, is there no pity in you toward us? And the word perish is the Greek word apoluomai, which means to be liquidated or to be totally undone. How can you sleep when we are coming to pieces? We're being liquidated on this ship and you are sleeping. Is there no care in you toward us when we're totally coming undone? But when you read this in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each Gospel writer tells this from their own perspective and each gospel writer tells it just a little bit differently in a very important way, for example. In one gospel, when they jerk him up off the bed, they say, Lord, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? And they use the word Lord, which is the Greek word kurios. The word kurios means, O oh, sovereign one that is in control. Sovereign one. That is in control. Carest thou not that we perish? Then you come to the next gospel writer, and the next gospel writer records it a little differently. The first gospel writer says, Lord, sovereign one that is in control, do you not care that we perish? But when you come to the next gospel writer, they don't say, Lord, they say, didaskale, which is the Greek word for teacher. 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 Carest thou not that we perish? So in the first gospel, they call him Lord, Master, the one in control. The next gospel, they call him Teacher, the one that is teaching us. And finally, you come to the next gospel, and they no longer call him Lord. They no longer call him Teacher, but in Greek, they call him Epistata. Translated Master, the word Epi means right now, Stata, on the spot, come on the spot, do something right now. This demands urgent action. Do something and do it right now. And when I saw this progression, Lord, teacher, Epistata, Master, I saw me. Because when our financial struggles began, I said to Denise and I said to myself, Jesus is Lord. Everything's going to be fine. Jesus is on the throne. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. And when everything was not fine, I found I moved into a second phase 
where I said somehow through this event, God is trying to teach me something. There's some kind of a lesson that I'm supposed to be getting through this event. And when finally I'd had all the teaching that I could handle, I finally came to the third phase where I said, I don't care what you're teaching me, and I don't care if you're Lord of all. I just need you to do something right now on this spot. Move on my behalf. How many of you have ever been through those same three phases? Jesus is Lord. Everything's fine. God's on the throne. Somehow he's trying to teach us something through this problem. God, we don't care what you're trying to teach us. Teach us later, but get us out of this right now. Isn't that amazing that that is exactly what they said in the boat that night? And the Bible tells us they awake him. They resurrected him. And they said unto him, <laughs> and the word say, the King James Version says they say unto him. The Greek is repetitious. They were saying and saying and saying and saying, Master, carest thou not? Is there no care? Is there no pity in you toward us? Do you not see that we are perishing? The Greek word apolumi, we are literally coming undone, and here you are sleeping. Verse 39, and he arose. And he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And there was a great calm. But now wait, 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 wait. What did the disciples think their problem was? Waves. What did they see? They saw waves. What were they fighting? They were fighting waves. They were binding waves, bailing water, struggling with waves, 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 waves. And you can be sure that when they woke Jesus up, they probably said, Master, these monster waves, these waves, these waves, these unending waves are about to capsize us. But when Jesus stood, He ignored the waves. And the Bible says he lifted his face, he lifted his voice, and he rebuked the wind. If Peter was in true form that night, I can almost imagine Peter saying, What is he doing? These waves are killing us, and he's talking to the sky. What is wrong with him? But Jesus understood they did not have a wave problem. They did not have a wave problem. It was an unseen force. And when the Bible says Jesus rebuked the wind, the word rebuke is the Greek word epitamao. Oh, this is very important. I know that we're charismatics, we're faith people, and we like to use the word rebuke. But the word rebuke is English. Jesus never said the word rebuke. In Greek, it is the word epitamao. You know what the word rebuke means? Epi means against. The word tamao is the word for honor, to speak against someone's honor or to humiliate or to denigrate somebody. To humiliate, to embarrass, to denigrate. And the word rebuke does not describe a single spoken word but a string of words. It is a whole conversation intended to humiliate, to denigrate, to embarrass, to shame somebody. 
And so when the Bible says Jesus rebuked the wind, Jesus literally lifted his face and lifted his voice and began to have a conversation with the unseen realm. You say, what did he say? The Bible doesn't tell us what he said. But no one knew Lucifer better than Jesus. Jesus remembered when Lucifer, because of pride, tried to exalt himself above the throne of God, Jesus understood that Lucifer was a creature of pride. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And when the Bible says Jesus rebuked, it literally means he began to assault the spirit realm, humiliating it, shaming it, denigrating it, assaulting the pride of these evil forces. He rebuked the wind. And the verse says, and he said unto the sea. He didn't scream at the sea. He didn't even raise his voice. He just said to the sea, peace, be still. A Greek word that is almost impossible to correctly translate. Peace be still. The Greek literally means Jesus said to the sea, Shh. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Oh, it's so interesting because this word ceased, this word ceased is a Greek word which means to surrender. The wind surrendered. It had been putting up a fight. This was invisible turbulence. It was a spiritual force which had attacked Jesus and the disciples in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night because the devil knew if Jesus reached the other side, the demoniacs were going to be liberated and the entire region set free, and therefore they struck. And the wind ceased. It gave up the fight. It surrendered. And the Bible says, there was a great calm. <laughs> the word great, again, is the Greek word megale. It agrees with verse 37 where it says there was a great storm. We began with a great storm. We end with a great calm, which tells me whatever the devil does, Jesus at least is going to match it. If you start with a great storm, you're going to end up with a great calm. If you start with a great financial problem, you're going to end up with a great financial blessing. If you start with a great sickness, you're going to end up with a great healing. Jesus at least matches what the devil does. There was a great calm, a great calm. Verse 40, and he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You could nearly paraphrase it. 
why did you guys wake me up? Don't you realize you could have done what I just did? You didn't need me. Where is your faith? How is it that you're so fearful? You could have done this. Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? Notice the order. What manner of man is this that even the what? The what? The wind and the sea obey him. The order is very important. Jesus addressed with the wind and then the sea was just nearly easily taken care of. And the Bible says the wind and the sea obey him. The word obey, the Greek word hupotasso, is a military term. It describes soldiers who fall in line when they hear the voice of a commander. When Jesus spoke, the spiritual realm heard the voice of authority. And friend, I want to tell you likewise, if you find yourself in the middle of a storm, it's not enough to think against the storm. You have to lift your voice. You have to let the spirit realm hear your voice. The spirit realm responds to authority, and it will obey you. It will fall in line. So here are the disciples being attacked by a genomai moment. Genomai, suddenly, suddenly. There's something else very important in this text. This was the Sea of Galilee. This storm could have been naturally, naturally explained on Mount Hermon just to the north. There are strong winds, and if the atmospheric conditions change, the winds come down off the top of the mountain and come down on the Sea of Galilee, and it can cause big waves. They could have naturally said, well, this is just a natural storm. But that night, it was not a natural storm. Beat into the Greek word ipibalo tells us emphatically, there was an invisible force picking up the waves of the sea, hurling them over against the ship, against the ship, against the ship, against the ship. We don't know how long they fought those waves. But it seems this was a protracted fight. Or in the words of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, rather than dealing with principalities and powers and unseen things, they were fighting flesh and blood. And here's the thing. Even if they had defeated one wave, another wave was coming. It's a distraction. The devil knows he can send one problem, another problem, another problem, another problem, another problem. You can become so focused on the problem, fighting this one and fighting this one and fighting this one and fighting this one, that you never go beyond the problem to deal with the real problem. And you become distracted. You become exhausted. But Jesus went beyond what he saw. And Jesus lifted his voice. And he spoke to the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness. He went for the root of the problem. And once he took authority over the spirit realm, the natural problem was easy to deal with. He simply looked at the waves and said, shh. 
And the wind ceased. It gave up the fight. And immediately, there was a great calm. Well, the Holy Spirit said to me, Rick, you do not have a money problem. I felt like I had a money problem. Stack of bills were getting thicker and thicker, taller and taller. Money was not coming in. Meetings had been canceled. I've been wrangling with my calculator, putting in those numbers, trying to figure out a way that somehow I was going to deal with this by myself. But when I saw this, I saw what was happening in my life. Denise and I were headed to the other side. We were about to publish something that was going to make an impact in many people's lives. And while we were en route to this breakthrough, suddenly, get on my, out of nowhere, something that made no sense, something that I could not explain, suddenly, out of nowhere, it completely took us off guard, and by surprise, there arose great turbulence. And when I saw this in the Scripture, I ran to Denise, and I said, Sweetheart, we do not have a money problem. She said, Then what kind of problem do we have? I said, wind. It's wind. It's wind. It's a spiritual problem. So she and I came together. You know, there's great power when a husband and wife come together. If Jesus could do it, we could do it. We lifted our voice. We lifted our faces to that realm, and together we begin to take authority over the spirit realm. We did not have a money problem. It was not about money. It was something working behind the scenes. And once we took a care of the invisible realm, I'm just going to tell you what we did. We put the big stack of bills on the table in front of us, and we leaned over to them and said, it was just a distraction. We were fighting the wrong thing. Within days, within days, it was like somebody had turned the financial faucet back on again and things began to flow. We never had a money problem. It was exactly what the Holy Spirit had said to me. It was an invisible attack to stop us before we reached the other side. And I have to tell you, I'm so thankful that we had that experience because through the years, this has enabled us to understand very quickly what's happening if we suddenly come under attack. Rather than waste time fighting waves, immediately we deal with the invisible realm. Now, if we need to do something naturally, we do that too. But we don't just do that. We deal with the invisible realm first. We just don't allow it. 
and we speak peace. Jesus said to the disciples, where is your faith? You can do this. How is it that you have no faith? Just as Jesus lifted his voice and spoke with authority, and the wind and the waves fell in line. Anything that you're facing will fall in line. But you've got to do more than think about it. You can't think against it. You've got to use your voice. Your voice is your God-given authority. Authority is expressed through your voice. And when you use your voice, the invisible realm will obey you. It will obey you. And I have to tell you, there's all kinds of winds and waves. You may have unexplainable conflict in your marriage. How many of you have ever been with your spouse and all of a sudden you got into a moment of conflict and strife? You don't know how it began. You don't know how it started. And suddenly became so deep you don't know how to get out of it. No real explanation for that. Oh, back in the early days when Denise and I got this revelation, really helped us. Back in those days, we were traveling in the car with our kids, traveling from meeting to meeting to meeting, and there were moments when a spirit of strife would try to get into the car. You know, when you're traveling for 10 and 12 hours per day in the car, nearly joined at your hip because the car is so tiny in the first place, and then strife gets into the car, you can try to wrangle it out, and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I came to a moment when I learned just to look at Denise and say, shh. And she would look at me and say, shh to you. But you know what? Got rid of it. We love each other. Denise and I are never in strife. I was just a spirit of strife. Think how much time you have wasted fighting the wrong thing. Throwing medication at it. Use the medication if you need it. But my goodness, you need to do more than use medication. Fighting with your calculator as if somehow you by yourself are going to be able to fix this thing. You may need to go beyond what you see and deal with the invisible realm. And if you have found yourself in those three phases, Lord, I know you're in charge. Everything's going to be fine. And when it's not, then you get religious. Well, somehow God's trying to teach me something through this ordeal. It's very difficult, but there's some kind of a lesson that I'm supposed to be getting in the middle of all of this. When you've got all the teaching that you can get and you don't want any more teaching, you're going to really get serious. And you're going to say, you know, Lord, I'm glad that you're Lord. I'm glad that you want to teach me, but teach me later. Get me out of this mess. Do it right now. And in this chapter, he has told you how to get out of the mess. Use your voice. Speak to the invisible realm. And then the natural's problems, it will become a great calm. I speak that to you in the name of Jesus. I speak that to you in the name of Jesus. That is the authority that you have. Father, we thank you that you've given us authority. 
We thank you that you have called us to the other side. You have. I thank you, Father, people have a great breakthrough coming in their finances, in their health, in their business, in their call, in their family. You're calling them to the other side. And in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the spirit realm that has tried to interrupt it. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke it. Now, right now, with your eyes closed, I want you to see that thing that has come to create turbulence in your life. Maybe it's in your marriage or in your finances or your health or your kids, your job. And I want you right now to take authority over it in the name of Jesus. It has to be your voice. Take authority over it right now. Just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Now, by faith, I want you to see that thing in front of you. I want you to look at it and say, shh. Just say it together. Lord, we thank you that the spirit realm surrenders. And there is a great peace. We speak it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name, we say thank you. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.